0: Welcome back to the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength and conditioning and strength and conditioning to modern medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum, and this is episode 101, 101, 101. I don't know. I got trapped in my own sentence structure there, but it's the podcast episode number 101. Do with it what you will. Uh, This is a live Q&A that I did on June 10th, last Wednesday, the previous Wednesday. Um, Every Wednesday night, I'm doing an Instagram live over on my... Uh, Instagram Jordan underscore barbell medicines at five 30, uh, Pacific time. So we'll be back there this Wednesday. It's going to be my birthday. I'm not leaving you guys, but make sure that you guys come join me on my birthday and, uh, you know, we'll have a good time. I answer your questions and if it's good and the audio is good, we put it up here on the podcast. Sometimes it makes it to YouTube if I video it and, uh, love to have your questions. So this one, we run the gamut from everywhere from COVID to CrossFit, to uh, how to get back in the gym, to uh, overload work, etc. Chocked full of information. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into the podcast. Let's start at the beginning. The uh, with the study that I actually shared in my stories. It was yeah published today. Sometimes when we get new studies, they're actually like published tomorrow Uh, (laughs) um, they're like published in the future. So, uh, this article is published in the frontiers of physiology, which is one of the, uh, journals that I check out frequently. Um, the title is similar energy expenditure during body pump and heavy load resistance exercise in overweight women. Now, this is a study that was done within another study, um, Basically, they did a series of different experiments in a, this longer-term trial on resistance training. So this is one of the papers they ended up publishing out of that. Um, in any case, this is a Norwegian research group. They took uh, women who had BMI greater than 25, and uh, they split them into different groups uh, where they got different exercises. And there's also a control group. One of the groups did body pump, which is like this Les Mills thing. It's an hour-long class where you do circuit training. There's nine different Uh, sort of stations, then you end up doing like hundreds of reps, maybe thousands of reps uh, total over the session, depending on, you know, your fitness level and uh, the other group did resistance training they effectively they were doing multiple sets with eight uh, rm so eight rep max sort of intensities and they had 12 different exercises so they would do like squat and then lunge and then bench press and then incline bench and like lat pull down and it like a pretty intense session if you think about doing multiple sets at your eight rep max for 12 different exercises that's a it's a crazy session and so I think if you ask people who are into uh, resistance training, like, hey, which one is likely to be to burn more calories? This Les Mills body pump thing, where you're, you know, doing all uh, doing all these circuits at relatively high intensity, or do this uh, twelve exercise, you know, monster mash session where you're doing eight rep maxes uh, on effectively all the exercises. Which one do you think is going to be more taxing, and which one do you think is going to burn more calories? I think most of the people who have done resistance training would actually say they would come up with this idea that the resistance training, the heavy resistance training is probably uh, more taxing, like more uh, sort of fatiguing in a way. And I probably wouldn't argue with that. I think if you actually tested fatigue, which is defined uh, as effectively a reduction in force production, um that you measure. And so you can have central fatigue, which is due to things going on in the brain. Um so effectively the brain stops sending the signal to the muscle to contract. Or you can have peripheral fatigue, which is something at the level of the muscle, or basically just not the brain that prevents force production. Um, so that's central and peripheral fatigue. And I would imagine that actually is higher in the resistance, the heavy, the high load uh, resistance training group. Um But overall calorie burn was actually equivalent between the two. So there are a bunch of different ways to get the job done. And I think my takeaway from this isn't that one is better than the other or that they're equivalent to each other as far as like long-term outcomes and long-term sort of of strength or hypertrophy improvements. But rather, you know, there are a lot of different ways to exercise, which, you know, I could have told you that before reading the study. Um, I think – Most folks in the resistance training community are going to see this study. If they see this study, we'll try to explain it away and say, ah, well, body pump's stupid. It's not lifting weights, and there's all these other benefits to lifting weights. And it's like, I mean, I feel like that's the wrong argument. If somebody wants to do body pump, that's cool. Let them do body pump. Most people are inactive. Um, The vast majority of uh, individuals are inactive and do not do any resistance training. And so if they wanted to do body pump, like, more power to you. That's my hot take on that, so that study I linked in my story, you guys can check that out again. I think it was really interesting, and uh, if it the actual whole article is available for free, so if you're not really used to reading the research, you can actually check that article out, go through the whole deal, and uh, there's a lot of what I would consider to be like fundamental exercise science stuff in there that you should know. Lee Dubois from Louisiana, or as the folks in Louisiana say, I think Louisiana. I assume that's that's the vernacular. Uh, what makes satiety higher from 50 grams of protein from chicken breast versus 50 grams of protein from whey protein powder? I actually don't think that's the case, uh, although it'd be hard to, to compare directly. Um, one, because usually the fat content's a little higher in the chicken, particularly if you don't just boil the chicken breast. So if you cook it uh, somehow where you're actually applying fat, and that fat ends up that you, that you end up consuming it. So the total calories ends up being a little bit higher, but let's say that you were able to match total calories. The biggest sort of satiety difference maker would be one is liquid and one is, um, uh, like whole food, uh, that you have to, you know, chew and swallow and all that other sort of stuff. Whereas the shake is liquid. Um, we don't really have a good sort of adaptive process that's occurred, uh, since liquid calories became available. So we have a hard time, um, figuring out what to do with them from like a calorie standpoint, calorie, uh, sort of compensation standpoint. And so here's the experiment that was actually done. Um, they gave people sugar sweetened beverages. They gave them soda effectively, full strength diesel soda, um, where you're getting, you know, 240 calories, uh, there. Uh, and then the group who got, uh, soda, compared to the group who did not get the sugar-sweetened beverage, um, they looked at their total calorie intake throughout the day, and then the people who got the sugar uh, or who got the, the soda are unable to compensate, so they end up overeating by about 250, 300 calories per day. They're unable to sort of decrease their uh, ad libitum intake later on. That's the big difference. We don't really have a good uh, way to um, deal with liquid calories. Protein, t- protein shakes tend to be kind of the... Ca- the, the one thing that d- that doesn't really apply to, it tends to be very, very satiating. And actually, I don't know that chicken breast is more satiating than um, a protein shake uh, uh, you know with any sort of reliability. What's more is that when you get into like the different types of protein, whey protein and casein protein tend to be about the same. In fact, there's some evidence showing that whey protein is a little bit better than casein with respect to satiety, meaning that people will end up eating less for a longer period of time. Um, and actually it keeps blood amino acid levels higher for a longer period of time than casein. So people are like, oh, I should take casein because it's a slow digesting protein. It's like, I don't know that you actually want that. And whey seems to be able to do a better job than that. And it tends to be more satiating, uh, at least in some studies. So shrug emoji. I don't know that there's really a strong reason to recommend having multiple types of protein. If you prefer casein, that's cool. Knock yourself out, but I wouldn't buy a casein and whey. Uh, and then again, with respect to the chicken versus the, the whey protein, I don't actually know that the chicken's more satiating. Hopefully that makes sense. Not a specific question, but could you talk a bit about overload squat and deadlift with chains? Yeah. I mean, so exercise variation just in general is something I find that is both unimportant in the sense, uh, for, for the general strength conditioning trainee like it really doesn't matter what exercise variation that you pick, uh, with respect to like long-term health outcomes, um, provided you're picking variations that you will adhere to and, and you know and you enjoy on some level. Um, but on the other hand, can be really important for strength performance because people respond differently to different variations and prefer have different preferences. Um, that, uh, so. Overload work I don't think is necessary, meaning I don't think that you need to squat with chains or deadlift with chains or bands or use a slingshot or whatever to uh, get this as strong as humanly possible. I think they can be beneficial from a psychological standpoint. You get to handle heavier weights and then to the extent that you can develop some of the eccentrically, sorry, the eccentric um, structural bits that uh, – that play a a major role in strength performance um i think overload work tends to tends to maybe do that a little bit better and what i mean by that is we tend to be much stronger on the eccentric than on the concentric uh something like 20 percent stronger uh so if you can overload that a little bit um so weight releasers can work chains can do it a little bit not a lot but maybe some Bands, same sort of deal, Um, and obviously just heavy, straight-up eccentrics can uh, can do that. Tempo probably doesn't do that, but uh, the things that happen, you tend to Build the sort of stiffness in the tissue, which is better for you get a better stretch shortening cycle. Uh, you get more mechanical energy stored in the muscle. Um, tend to get more costomeres, which are effectively these lateral projections from the sarcolemma, which is the envelope surrounding the muscle. Um, that en- and, and from the muscle into that sarcolemma, so you get better force transfer, not only within the muscle, but between muscles. So that's pretty neat. You also tend to get some neurological adaptation there. So, so yeah, some of those eccentric training bits, I think you maybe get a little bit more development there, but again, weight releasers probably do that the best. Uh, and, it, and again, I think probably the biggest benefit you end up seeing is from, um, uh, the psychological aspect there in addition to just general exercise variation. I do think general exercise variation is a good idea because you, you end up, uh, reducing the risk of overuse injuries. You tend to have better motor learning outcomes, stuff like that. So Uh, that's why I would do that. The actual, you know, necessity or need for chains and bands and stuff. Um, you'd probably don't need it. You can live a full and complete life without that stuff. So, all right, squat boy. There's three eyes. I lost all the rest of the questions too. So if you, if I haven't answered your question yet, resubmit. Uh, let's see. So my concern on putting the bar exactly on the shelf of my posterior delt. So I don't know that you could actually define a specific point that's like, oh, this is the rear shelf of my posterior deltoid. It's just made up. Um, wherever the bar, wherever you place the bar for the low bar squat, should probably be below the spine of the scapula. I feel like that is a fine definition. Um, but whether it's you know um, two millimeters below or two centimeters or you know more um, or less. You know, it's personal preference, and so you should find a place that you feel like is comfortable, you feel secure, and is repeatable. I think those are the some reasonable considerations. Lee, again, what's up, man? Hey, have you noticed any negative impact on your golf game from training the same day or vice versa? Uh, so yesterday, I played after a pretty heavy session, um, and I shot a seventy nine. Uh, this was after stiff legged deadlifts off a of deficit. I worked up to four forty for a couple sets of ten. Incline benched 330 for a couple sets of five and then did uh, leg press as my third movement. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty well trained. So the training sessions don't really take it out of me that much. Golf is probably more fatiguing in some ways and, uh, and less fatiguing in other ways. But uh, yeah, no real influence that I can, uh, I can discern. What is the best tip you have learned to strengthen your golf game? Uh, so far it's like having a continuous sort of like, Process to go through like figuring out what the club you're going to hit is and then your sort of setup. So, um, for me, I check the lie, I check the distance, wind, uh, and then decide on a yardage I want to play. And then I pick the club that I want to hit for that distance. Um, and then basically, I, I sit behind the ball, look at where I want to aim, ground the club, take my stance. Look at the target again. I mean, I try to do this the same way each time. It's, it's a relatively new tip, but that's probably had one of the biggest impacts on my game, except for just playing. <laughs> what are the indications for selecting the barbell biceps curl with chains in the squat rack, and why is this the best exercise? It's a very Tom Campitelli question, but submitted by Cody Mizoraka. Yeah, we were training yesterday, and this guy had a— not only was he doing—he was actually doing squats— or sorry, curls in the squat rack with chains, but using a squat bar. And, like, doing sets of three. I have no idea. I Look, man, I think maybe if you're, like, an arm wrestler, maybe that's very specific to your sport, you know, for a barbell exercise because you get, like, heavy loading and you need to, like, deal with that. But uh, say for that, I don't know. I mean, I don't really care if you're curling a squat rack unless I need to use a squat rack. It's, like... I view that as the same sort of question. Like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there, doesn't make a sound like no one knows. So if you curl in the squat rack and no one's waiting on the squat rack to like squat or do something else where they need a rack, then, you know, maybe it's not a big deal, but I was waiting to use that rack and I was not pumped about that. All right. If someone is struggling with consistency in residence, I think, I think you mean resistance training. If someone is struggling with consistency in resistance training, what sort of programming should they do or simply getting under the bar? The most important thing. So I don't think you have to do barbell training to do resistance training. You could do machine-based stuff. You could do uh, some body weight stuff, uh, particularly if your resources are limited. I think there's some benefits to external loading for sure, particularly with respect to uh, bony uh, sort of development and also hypertrophy and strength in certain tasks. Um, but I think the biggest thing is talking with the person who's having, a trou- who's having trouble adhering and asking them what's going on. Like, hey, what do you think is limiting you from doing these workouts? Uh, and then, if they're like it's ex- the ex- these exercises, like, well, what exercise would you like to do? And if it's not that, trying to get to the root of that problem would be way better than just keep drawing up new programs. But the person should definitely have a uh, play an active role in picking the exercises that they're actually doing. What are the downsides of Bulgarian method type programs? Yeah, I think you'd have actually have to define that. It's like, what is a Bulgarian type program and what's not? If you're just talking about daily maxing, I think if you're not actually a competitive strength li- athlete, meaning that you haven't signed up for a powerlifting meet or a weightlifting meet, it's complete. You know, it's a pretty large waste of time. Um, mainly because you really don't need to compromise your long-term training development by doing a bunch of singles all the time and since you haven't been competing for a while you likely haven't had periods of doing that before so this represents like a substantial increase in tra- average training intensity and um and exposure to to you know maximal loads and i think that probably is an undue that is a risk that you don't need necessarily need to take um, if you are a competitive lifter there's periods of time where you should be doing you know very frequent singles, uh, particularly if you're a higher level lifter, but yeah, I I think people just get romanced by the idea of like doing daily maxes. And it's like, if you've never even done, you know, biweekly maxes or like, you know, singles regularly, like it's not the program for you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then the rest of the program, you know, again, I don't know how you would define it exactly. Um, it obviously open to interpretation, but the stock programs on the internet probably aren't the best ones to run um, particularly because people are different you know keen fit 24 getting some pretty substantial lower back pump slash lasting soreness after squat sessions no pain and not new to the movement yeah i'm not really worried about it uh you know if you're having low back pain that's reducing performance or that you're concerned about easiest thing to be to do would probably be to lower your average intensity potentially reduce volume, look at other environmental factors such as total amount of sleep that you're able to get, uh, stress. Um, those things would probably be, be useful. Yep. Okay. So my coach told me, and I agree that my only issue now with my deadlifts is posterior pelvic tilt. Okay. I probably disagree with your coach. If your low back is rounding or is flexed and you can't figure out a way to get it to neutral, that might be costing you some efficiency. It's not really dangerous, but I would not use the term posterior pelvic tilt. Yeah, probably not at all. Giannis Calaris. Sounds Greek. Jordan, what is going wrong with Joel Seedman? What satisfaction could he be getting spreading pseudoscience and misinforming people? I don't know. You have to ask him. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of people doing that in this space and related spaces. And it's like, it usually has something to do with market share, proprietary stuff and getting paid. It's usually how that goes. Most people aren't like, you know, trying to lead people astray on purpose, right? Wongo Congo. What was training with Ben Smith like when you were in your CrossFit phase? Heard he's a workhorse. Oh, I mean, I, I wouldn't even say that I was training with him. I went to his gym sometimes and he'd be working out or his brother or, you know couple of the other uh, athletes there, and it's just on a totally different level. The only time that I would like hang is if we were lifting weights, and I'd be like, all right, cool, now I can do this. I'm doing pin press for the first time this block. What is your favorite height slash level for it? Uh, for the bench press, I like using chest level or a couple inches off the chest. And then for overhead press, I either use shoulder level or just above the head. Yep, typically what I do have any meets you're interested in been announced yet i haven't heard that any meets are announced i know that the meet i was trying to do in may got canceled obviously and then they didn't refund they they said absolutely no refunds and it's not rescheduled yet and it's like why wouldn't you just give us refunds get off the hook you guys aren't getting rich doing powerlifting meets but whatever you can keep my money i guess Vin 424, since there's no evidence to support the term muscle knots, can you explain random hard spots on muscles common on the traps? Any recommendations? Just muscle fibers. I wouldn't do anything about them. It's not like there's a bunch of like balled up muscle tissue that needs to be released or, you know, changed in any way. Just muscle fibers. And uh, just because you press on a place and it's hard doesn't mean anything or that you feel that they're subjectively tender. That doesn't mean anything either. Or that you need to do something about them, most importantly. So I'll just move on with your life. Any thought with Glassman's resignation and mass exodus from CrossFit? Well, let me just say this. I think that the comments made were obviously racially insensitive. I don't know anything about his other tendencies behind closed doors or, or in public. Um, so, And I don't know how he feels. I haven't talked to him about this and we're not, we're not tight. So I can't comment on that. And obviously it was ill-advised and ill-timed and is may a should have come a lot sooner. And I felt like it probably could be a little bit more genuine. That's, I feel like that's all fair. Um, and then this is, you know, looked at through the lens of CrossFit being asked about how they're going to improve their diversity and, and inclusion a number of times. So, uh, without really having any answer. Um, All that being said, I'm not a fan of cancel culture either, meaning that if you make a mistake at some point and you're outed that you just get canceled, you know, people just want to pile on, it seems like, and, and just, and really rip into folks, particularly in the internet. And I, I don't know that that's the right move. I can understand people being upset and I can understand people, you know, voicing their opinion. That's that feel like that's fair and and can be healthy if done appropriately, but what you'd like to do is see people grow and learn from their mistakes. And if they have large platforms or a lot of resources and or both, you would like them to use those things to improve the, you know, community. So bringing light to these issues, doing better, um, all that stuff is net good and cancel culture doesn't really allow that to happen. You just cancel, abandon ship pile on. And so, I don't know. I, I, I understand why people are upset and I understand why people do the things they do. It just, that's probably not how I would go about things. Um, if given a choice, if I got the choice, but nobody's asking me what to do. That's <laughs> just, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. I'm impressed with your golf score. Have you played long? And do you train your swing? Uh, I started playing when I moved to San Diego about a year ago, I had played maybe three or four rounds my whole life before that, just with my dad or brother, just kind of tagging along. Um, my swing is trash. <laughs> I mean, it's not trash. It's, look, it's a work in progress. I know that there are things I need to work on, but I really enjoy playing. Uh, so it's fun for me. And uh, I think as I get better and more experienced, my swing's going to get better, especially as I get to practice more. So yeah, my best score right now is 75. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty good day. What's your opinion on Julius Maddox's bench form? I think it's good. Yeah. Do I think he'll hit 800? Well, he'd be the first to do it raw. And uh, yeah, I think it's coming. So I'm pumped to see it. What do you think LeBron James could total if he dedicated his life to powerlifting? Now, not probably not that much. I mean, not not like he would be good. Um, you know, he would lift heavier weights than most folks because he has a lot more lean body mass and he weighs a lot more um so that allows him to carry a lot more lean body mass but his levers aren't perfect aren't really well set up for there you know yeah he's explosive but powerlifting is not really an explosive type sport right it's low velocity force production not high velocity force production and uh you know without a lot of previous exposure to this i don't know that he'd have this like rapid climb to the top if you told me he was gonna squat in the sixes you know that is his lifetime best. I'd probably believe you probably bench in the fours and he'd probably pull seven or some cha- seven and change. Yeah. Something like that. Is it more important to hit the prescribed RPE or reps? If I hit RP eight at the fifth rep instead of the sixth, do I stop there? Similarly, do I do another rep if I'm not at the prescribed RPE? So in the first situation, uh, it was just a misload, right? So if you're if you're supposed to do a set of six at eight, and you do rep five, and you're like, oh man, I, I feel like I'm at RP eight already. So a couple of things. I don't know that I would try to do that calculus <laughs> mid set, but let's just you know, you can kind of sense. You're like, I don't know how many reps I have left. This is getting heavy, and you feel like a set at eight, you should have two reps left in the tank, and maybe it shouldn't be that sort of uh, stressful. So um, yeah, I would I would usually abort the set, you know, and just say All right, five at eight, and then five reps and six reps but about the same stimulus as far as like the specific training adaptations generated by the rep scheme and subsequent intensity, um, meaning that a set of five at eight is very similar to a set of six at eight as far as how they affect your strength performance and the amount of weight that you're using. They're not wildly different. Um, but, and then I would just uh, do your back offsets from a lighter weight because, you know, what you predicted your performance level was going to be that day was not there. Uh, in the second situation where you haven't yet, you're unable to hit the prescribed RPE at the given rep range. I wouldn't do more reps to get to the RPE range. I would just terminate the set, add weight, do another set. That's what I would do. When coming back to training, how many weeks do you think it would take a person to get back to their old level of fitness for novice, intermediate, and advanced? So I don't use novice, intermediate, or advanced. I don't use that terminology. Um, and I think where it depends on what fitness adaptation you're looking at. Um, if you're looking at total strength performance, probably not that long, especially given the duration of the lockdown, wouldn't surprise me if somebody was back to near peak strength in about six weeks, that seems reasonable hypertrophy, uh, probably didn't lose much muscle mass, certainly not any long, uh, lasting reductions in, uh, in muscle mass, if you could start resistance training. So that fitness adaptation doesn't likely need any sort of on-ramp and you probably didn't lose much, if any, um, cardiorespiratory fitness. You know, if you didn't do any cardio, you know, again, that probably reduced uh, significantly, and is gonna, and depending on how fit you were before, from a cardio respiratory fitness standpoint, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. Um, but the level of fitness, you know, that you have, I, I don't know that I would describe that to novice, intermediate, advanced. Sometimes the duration of training and, and, and how, you know. Your programming has to look corresponds with your performance level, but not always. And I don't know that using the terms novice, intermediate, or advanced actually are helpful with regards to actually programming. It's like, if you're intermediate, what does that mean to me? It doesn't mean anything. Tips for managing mental stress. Oh, I don't know that I have any tips for that. Um, Like, just like like off the top of my head, do this. This is, you know, (laughs) what you need to be doing. Because I think a lot of it's... uh, specific to the individual. My main things would be to, to one, uh, prioritize most important things so effectively. And that just is reflective of when I get stressed. When I get stressed, it's usually because I have a bunch of deadlines going on, and there are some things that take priority over other things based on not only how soon do they need to be done, but actually how important are they to my whole life. So prioritize. That's thing, one. Um, two, uh, I would also reach out to family and friends um, for support. Just say, hey, I'm having a tough time or I'm, having, I'm really stressed, blah, blah, blah. So letting them know not only gets you off the hook for being like, oh, they weren't calling me or texting me or whatever, but also gives you a wider support system and these people will actually be able to help you out, um, whatever that means for you. So those would be my two big tips. Uh, third tip would be to try to keep a normal sleep schedule because that can add insult to injury and I would not recommend trying to be very, very stressed and not sleep a bunch. I've done it. You know, a lot of people have done it. Um, and sometimes you have to do that, but if I got to pick those, that's what I would do. Suppose an endurance athlete currently in season can only budget one day a week to strength train. What would you recommend they do? Some sort of squat, some sort of press and some sort of deadlift. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like low bar back squat, you know, bench press and conventional deadlift. It could be high bar back squat to two inches above parallel you know, because if they're a runner, for example, maybe that's more specific to them. Or it could be safety squat, bar, squat, or even leg press. I mean, really, it could be anything. But if it were me and I was programming them, it'd probably be, you know, high bar squat or safety squat, bar, squat, something like that for somewhere in the uh, probably four to eight rep range. Excuse me. And then I'd have, have them do probably some sort of press or bench press. And then I'd have them probably do trap bar deadlifts or regular deadlifts or RDLs, something like that. Yeah, maybe one or two sets at RP8, somewhere in the four to eight rep range in season. That's probably what I would do. Opinion on carnitine and CLA to aid in a cut? Nope. I'd rather pay a coach or somebody to help keep me accountable over adding supplements to uh, reduce uh, uh, your body weight and body fat. What did you think about the WHO's message on asymptomatic spread of coronavirus being rare? Why do we still know so little about the spread after half a year with global scientific effort? So I don't know if we know so little. We just keep learning things every day. Six months is not a long time. Um, That being said, I I do think the person, the spokesperson for the WHO could have used better terms because rare, you know, most people when they hear that, they think, oh, it never happens or rarely (laughs) happens. But asymptomatic spread is responsible for up to about 40% of cases. So I don't think that statement, actually actively reflects accurately reflects the data actually published by the WHO. So, and that's why she had to walk back the statement. So, and of course the mainstream media is not doing us any favors, but there you go. Why is the beginner template the best novice program? It's that it's not, there's no best novice program. Uh, we think it hit checks all the boxes for what you would want an untrained individual to do. Um, you get, uh, auto regulation, you get gradually increasing volume, you get exposure to a wide variety of different rep ranges and exercises that the user gets to select. So that not only build self-efficacy but also reduces the risk of uh, overuse and imp- the increase in variety in both rep range and uh, exercises build a broader base of total sort of fitness adaptations, which you can later apply specifically if you want. We also have conditioning recommendations, which are uh, left out of other programs. Um, also said auto-regulated and yeah, I think that's why it's a reasonable choice to start training. Gyms in my area are only allowing one hour time slots. Can I break up a four day program like power builder or power lifter on a seven day split? Uh, you can sure. I also gave some time-saving tips because I thought that might be an issue in the latest newsletter piece. The link is in my bio. Check that out. Ryan Aqua. Hey Jordan, I've seen you talk about warming up for the movement with the movement. Yeah, it's like the shirt before the shirt. It's the movement before the movement. Do you recommend any mobility or activation drills before a squat workout uh, at all, besides the movement? Nope. Not unless you need to. You know, if somebody's got some sensitivity to the squat pattern or squat movement um, that can be resolved, you know, with some drill that people feel like is a mobility drill or an activation drill, like. Cool. Um, I wouldn't want to rely on that, but, you know, if the person likes doing it and it's not costing them too much time and they are able to complete the rest of their training and, you know, they you, they can live a full and complete life doing uh, by uh, by doing that, I just wouldn't build any false narratives around that. Like, oh, you have tissue that needs to be, you know, you need to break down the adhesion so you can squat or you got to break down the scar tissue so you can squat or you got to do this activation drill to get your you know, butt cheeks firing so you can lock your deadlifts out. I wouldn't think about it anything like that. The biggest proponent of the biomedical model in fitness is being exposed. One of their sins is telling people to exhale all air before descent on a squat. And exhale all air before a descent. Breathe out? I think, I mean, I think the classic advice, which again, I don't know where this comes from. This would actually be a good article to like look up because I don't know where it comes from. To breathe in on the way down and breathe out on the way up. I thought that's the normal conventional Wisdom, Although you can't do it when it's actually been tested. Anytime you do something that's challenging. So whether it's a heavy set or a fatiguing set, like set of 15 to failure or 30 to failure, you start doing Valsalva maneuver. Yeah. That's how your body produces force. Science. The Frank Review. What's up, Frank? Hey, Jordan was looking at your group programming. My current goal is hypertrophy. Is that something I can opt into or would I follow the current group cycle? Thanks as always. Uh, We probably put you in the power building group. I think that going be good for your goals and your gains. What are good strength standards to have for someone who is not training powerlifting? I don't think that you need strength standards because it's all arbitrary and it's all specific to particular movements. And if you're not powerlifting, like, why the hell should I just limit these strength standards to squat bench deadlift? Should there be a chin-up standard, pull-up standard, push-up standard, dip standard, uh, you know, 1,000-meter row standard? I mean, where does it start and where does it stop? I don't know. I don't know that there's any specific like set of benchmarks that reliably predict health outcomes or like ability to like complete your activities of daily life and recreational pursuits. So I wouldn't even think about that. How do you decide when to use straps during deadlift training? I am not a competitive power lifter and not sure when it is appropriate. So I wrote an article about this called The Grip Problem. Would read there for my nuanced thoughts. But the 10-second overview is that for me, I think on my comp deadlift day, so the day I'm deadlifting without a belt, I'm just not going to use straps unless I don't have chalk available or my hands are ripped. But otherwise, I'm just going to deadlift without straps. And then on all my accessory deadlifts or pulls, I just use straps what is your favorite lift lifting lifting my bro's spirits that's it man Ooh. <laughs> all right how can i try to optimize arm growth in hypertrophy too so the main thing is trying to figure out how much volume you actually need to make your arms grow so so just adding more isn't necessarily better we'd want to get to the if you add more and it's basically overwhelming your, your body's ability to like tolerate that training, um, you're actually going to have, you know, worse outcomes. Um, which is why you t- typically see most hypertrophy improvements around week three, week four, five, six, something like that. When it's actually tested. Now that can be due to like the actual testing methodology and a bunch of other stuff, but that's typically what you see. You don't see it on the first few weeks. So people basically get used to the training and then the gains start with respect to growth. Um, So I think that the arm programming is probably fine. I just would make sure that most sets are taken to maybe kind of close to failure. I feel like that's a little bit more important for isolation work and also less sort of risky just in general um, compared to taking more compound exercises to near failure with respect to like that stimulus to fatigue ratio. And uh, that's where I'd start. And then think about volume, adding volume over time, maybe uh, every third or fourth week, something like that. Is progressive overload only necessary because you need more stimulus over time, or is it a separate thing? Is progressive overload only necessary because you need more stimulus over time? Uh, yeah, basically, you need to you get better adapted to the stimulus that you're exposed to, so it effectively costs you less to not only like, to to like to to do it to complete it. And, but you become more tolerant of it too, so effectively the same stimulus on paper, the same external workload, becomes less of a stimulus over time, and so the reality is you need to add more stimulus to keep the stimulus level, at, you know, high enough to drive a fitness adaptation. Hopefully, I worded that correctly. Ryan, is it Ryan O Manchester? Ryan O'Manchester. All right. Why, in your opinion, do you think the biopsychosocial model for pain management is still so uncommon compared to biomedically focused approaches? I I don't know that it is. I, I I as far as what's being taught and what's being discussed at the academic level, I think what in practice you have people who they didn't ever quite wrap their heads around the biopsychosocial model, and so they don't really understand it. Uh, and then you know. We want to sort of confirm our existing biases. So, you know, somebody says, "Oh, I have back pain," and then you're like, mm, "Better image that uh, because there's probably something wrong with the back." Just screaming out biopsychosocial is not going to be enough. So, there's a lot of education that needs to be done. And I think, you know, the majority of folks using the biomedical model, they're not bad people. They're not. Nef- they don't have nefarious intent. They're just not necessarily educated to the level we want them to be educated in. In the topics that they are regarded as subject matter experts, even though they may not have that expertise. What do you think exercise science and training methods will look like in a decade or so, especially in regards to Instagrammers and trendy fitness posters? So, I don't think Instagram is going to be a thing. I think it's going to go the way of MySpace, just because that's the trend here. It probably won't be TikTok either, it'll be something else. Um, and as far as what's going to be hot, I feel like the, the it's probably going to move towards like this individualized, you know, fitness programming methodology where we're using AI and like, you know, other sort of rel- like markers of certain traits to try to figure out what people are likely to respond best to, given that we know that individuals respond much differently to the same program because individuals are different. Do you have any sources you can recommend for a trainer looking to improve their understanding of programming? Man, it's tough. Uh, if you check out the uh, podcast on our channel that I did with Mike Tushar at the end, there's a nice reading list there. Also, the Catching Up with Austin Baraki uh, episode, there's another reading list on programming. And uh, I would just refer you there because I don't want to leave anything out. Is eating four meals a day with 50 grams protein a waste of protein or do I absorb all of it? You absorb all of it, and here's how you know this, because you don't have explosive diarrhea after eating it. What is one book that you'd recommend? I mean, I got a lot of books. So I recommend a few. Uh, Being Wrong by, Car- I think it's Karen Schultz or Catherine Schultz. Great book. Uh, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Also great. Uh, Sports Gene by epstein not bad epstein david epstein great great book uh why zebras don't get ulcers by sapolsky those there you go four book recommendations read all of those then then this is your future <laughs> if i pick up sambas to deadlift in are they okay to squat in as well yeah i don't have a problem with them with you squatting in them carry on is there a point in training biceps during a during weight loss sure you want to keep your biceps jack don't you is there a benefit to doing pendlay rows with bench grip versus closer grip? They're the same. It's just like high bar and low bar squats, the same. Outside of the specific adaptations that, you know, are exercise specific, meaning, which are mostly strength related, strength performance related, meaning that you get better at doing the low bar back squat by doing the low bar back squat, not high bar back squat, and vice versa. Uh, all right, last question, then we get out of here. <sighs> Will barbell medicine have a program to return to lifting after being quarantined? You already luck. You're in luck. We already did it, and it's free. Click the link in my bio. It'll take you to a newsletter piece. You can link through there, and uh, yeah, tell you what's up. Thank you so much for listening to the Barbell Medicine podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength conditioning and strength conditioning to modern medicine. Again, I'm Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum, and you can join me every Wednesday night 5:30 Pacific on Instagram, where I do this live Q and A. Also, if you want to watch the video version of these. They're in my IGTV folder, so go over to my page. You can click on the little TV thing, and you can see these. But I'd love to have you join me on the next one, which, again, is Wednesday, June 17, 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. See you there.